Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome to the new year, a new Freightonomics, actually the same Freightonomics. Mm. Head, yep. of, head of Freight Market Intelligence, Zach Strickland here with you and Chief Economist Anthony Smith bringing in the new year. And, you know, not a lot has changed mm. since we last spoke, Anthony. We still have a lot of Red Sea noise. We still have some ongoing conflicts out in the world right. that uh, that are, I think we're we're setting up 2024 kind of on a rocky start, yeah. uh, especially for supply chains, because this is now the Red Sea situation has now escalated into, you know, we've got Maersk, who's now saying we're not putting any boats through the, the Red Sea anymore. Uh, it's in a lull for the freight market, the transportation market. You know, January, February, typically very slow, uh, domestically speaking, a little bit of a recovery period for companies. But if this confrontation kind of persists on the, you know, with the backdrop of all that's going on economically, <laughs> uh, you know, United States is somewhat poised. I think everybody's expecting a somewhat soft landing. Mm. I don't know about you anymore, but I think it's, we haven't had the sharp downturn that we anticipated uh, economically, not to say that we're out of the woods yet, Yeah, but it just feels like there's still there's still a lot going on right now in 2024. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot going on. And it's interesting because it's like, okay, the Red Sea situation is serious, it's dangerous, and of course it's happening right now and it's impactful. But I also understand that it's not going to be a story after the next story happens and there's likely going to be some more activity in the Red yeah. Sea that we're not talking about. Like Ukraine, Russia didn't just fade away, but that's still a thing. We don't talk about we it. We don't talk about it anymore. So it's just almost until the next thing happens and then it's all eyes going to be on that. You know what? I'm the wrong, like I was born in the right era because my attention span is the same. <laughs> like I have the two second attention span yeah. and then it's like, oh, what's shining? Next thing. Yeah. This is a big current <laughs> issue. And I think the the thing around the the expectations for a soft landing is while i think it's possible i think that it's it can be dangerous to kind of build out that expectation for a soft landing because you're essentially going to be planning for the best case scenario while we're actively going into a decline right now so not in the freight environment but in the macroeconomic environment so we just had we were getting hopefully we'll get a uh, fourth quarter gdp soon and of course, going to be looking for positive outlooks there. But we had a outstanding result from the third quarter with a lot of support from the consumer. Now we're starting to see downward movement, persistent downward movement in job openings. And that's going to be the telltale sign. OK, how long can the economy hold up? How long can the job market last? Because that's going to be the underpinning for a lot of the consumer activity and overall macroeconomic growth. Yeah, and that's what I want to dive into today is where what are what are the trends economically speaking that are going to influence 2024 uh because you know, the consumer kind of was more resilient last year. Let's just put a mm -hmm. put a bottle on that. They were a lot more resilient despite all the rate cuts, the arrest, aggressive rate cutting um or increases. Yeah, sorry, rate increases, <laughs> sorry. And and they I, I think we all kind of expected a faster response and that may be coming due in 2024. I think the labor market is a lagging indicator of what that is. And seeing as the Fed has already kind of acknowledged that, 
uh, saying like, you know what, next year we're probably going to cut rates. Yeah. We're done. We're done raising them. Um, getting ahead of myself there a little bit, but before we get into too much oh, stuff here, let's, uh, yeah, let's get in. Uh, oh, and also while you're hearing the marketing too, I'm going to be looking at, uh, LinkedIn and all the other streaming platforms because we're live right now. So after the marketing too, if you have some questions for Zach or just want to say hello, whatever it might be, jump in that comment section so you can be a part of the show, but Zach counting you in, in three, two, one, go. All right, let's look at this OTVI. Now you're looking at the last two years. You see this trough that we're in right now. We're still coming out of that New Year's Eve, New Year's Day type trough that we normally see every year. This is the slowest time of the year, especially because Christmas and New Year's are stacked up on week over week. Uh, and two Mondays in a row, definitely strong. And I think that's my takeaway here is that seeing as, you know, we had the same type of situation last year, but demand is still stronger year over year. And a lot of that is derived from that West Coast volume staying stronger than last year. Again, leading me to the conclusion that we're still in a point where inventory correction has occurred and that is keeping uh, a little bit of tightness and activity downstream on the retail sector, which the numbers aren't out for it yet, but it looks like we did have a relatively good uh, holiday season from my perspective, at least from the freight perspective. So let's go to the next chart. Uh, I know that's not going to feel like a lot because here's the outbound tender rejection index. It did not overachieve by any sense of the term. We were extremely flat, hitting at around five and a half percent for the holiday period. Now, I've been talking about it all year where I thought this index would exceed last year's tender rejection index at this point. We did not. That means we are still deeper in the oversupply capacity correction situation than I thought we would be at this point. So demand may be relatively good, but capacity is still overserved to this point. Let's go to the next chart. Uh, looking at the spot market, spot rates here, not a lot to see here. Actually, spot rates were down year over year. This isn't necessarily that surprising. Spot rates are very noisy and dirty. They have a lot of other things going on in their mix in terms of expedited, expedited freight volumes, et cetera. Uh, and then let's go to the last chart here. And this is going to be our CDNCA, Care Details, Net Changes in Trucking Authorities. It is deeply red. We are seeing a continued exodus of operations uh, closing in the truckload market in the domestic United States. So that's a big <laughs> one um, because you saw that uh, the outbound tender rejection mm -hmm. index didn't impress, as you mentioned, stayed relatively flat, but we're still seeing that there is a bleed off overall, but still not yet meaningful enough to have that upward movement in the OTRI. Yeah, I, and, and that's it. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. It's coming. The flip in the freight market is coming. Is it going to happen this year? I think the odds of that are becoming more and more likely, mm. uh, especially if demand persists. But again, to your point about the soft landing concept, how soft is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, the labor market isn't turning down sharply, though. It's 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 going in the direction that we thought it would. It's we're having what less less openings, less hiring, less quits. Um, that direction. But is there anything in the labor market right now that has you overly concerned or optimistic? I think the optimistic thing is um, the sheer number of job openings. So even though we're starting to see a downward movement or downward trend happening, it's still at 8.7 million, I think was the latest number in the JOLT report. So there is, that's the positive side. Um, that if for, for my gamers out there, the job market doesn't need any buffs right now. It's right. still OP. But when we're looking at things happening um, within the labor market, there's some interesting things. So of course, as you mentioned, people aren't quitting their jobs as much. So that kind of shows 
we always kind of go back and forth on consumer confidence. Sometimes you think it matters. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes I like it. Sometimes I hate it. But really, that quit rate is definitely something to watch closely to because that's showing how confident folks are feeling about their prospects for finding a new job. And so I'm going to be watching that one closely because we did see that it's continuing to kind of ease, showing that people aren't leaving their jobs. The great resignation is far behind us. And so I think when we're looking at those two things, also continue claims. That's going to be one I'm watching closely. Somewhat increase. We'll get the updated numbers. Oh, we got updated numbers today. Mm -hmm. Nothing too crazy. Um, But those are going to be some of the areas I watch closely. But we are seeing that, um, you know, folks are hunkering down and really staying in their roles a little bit longer. And I think if we see a shift in, uh, say, layoffs, if that starts to pop off a little bit more, Mm -hmm. I think we'll start to see a lot of folks that are going to be exposed to those buy now, pay later. that if like, hey, I have zero interest to pay as long as I keep making payments and everything's fine. Right. Um, or, or well, the consumer has that. been trained to spend through anything yes. at this point. And that's, I think that's, that's the concerning part is like, when does, when does that come due? Like, yeah. does it come due? Yeah. And I think it has to, in, in some, in some form. And so <clears throat> I think ideal, ideal situation, the labor market holds up. There are no massive layoffs, um, nothing meaningful, Uh, people aren't losing their homes. They aren't losing their cars. They are making ends meet, um, whether they are using credit as a buffer for some of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of folks are still holding on to a lot of assets that they've had been able to gather, whether that might be within some crypto, maybe your Robinhood Mm -hmm. retail trader, whatever it might be. So I think they're still holding on to some assets that maybe they can liquidate or whatever in some certain sectors. But I think there's also a different component between those that are saying, earning less than the median income and those that are maybe in the top 12 to 10% of earners. I think those folks are going to be doing a little bit better, of course, because they're going to be a little bit more insulated from some of those inflationary pressures compared to those that are just like, hey, I make maybe minimum wage or a little bit more than minimum wage. And any sudden shifts in inflation that have continued to happen, continue to chip at me. So I think those are going to be the big ones that are going to be impacted. We saw a large demand for services, of course, Thanks Taylor Swift, thanks Beyonce, mm-hmm. thanks Drake, um, thanks uh, did Billie Eilish go on tour? I feel like she has a large following as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. thanks to all those entertainers and and Barbie and Oppenheimer and all that good stuff, pulling some service spending things like that. Um, I think service spending is going to be a large component going into the first quarter for sure, than compared to maybe it was mm-hmm. in previous years. But I don't see that momentum continuing to build robustly if we start to see that there is a stranglehold on resources for consumers. Yeah, everybody kind of got that service spending out of their system in 2023, I feel like, or they they were, they at least scratched that itch. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if they got it out of their system. I don't know if they ever will, but (laughs) uh, it seems like that kind of knee-jerk reaction is going to be a little bit more muted this year compared to last. Uh, We'll see, especially if the job market situation. Now, the minimum wage increased in what, 20, 22 states uh, start of the year? Mm. You, you and I have had this discussion about minimum wage before. It is not actually, it doesn't have, it doesn't do what you think it does. There's a meme out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like it really limits the ability for companies to hire entry level or, you know, students, um, you know, people that are maybe coming in on the very front end, getting some experience because most of the wage growth has kind of grown beyond minimum wage. And so, those minimum wage jobs are not what they used to be. Yeah. And I think if you're a mega large corporation, yeah. in my mind, you should be all for minimum wage because yeah. now uh, increasing, because now 
you're bleeding out some of your smaller competitors that can't right. keep up with the exactly. hiring. And then on the other side of it, you're looking to automate anyway. So <laughs> you're going to be hiring because that's going to be able to make you have the 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 cost foundation to make uh, that argument to say, hey, continuing to hire is getting too expensive. We have to automate a lot of things, introduce mm-hmm. more robots, the upcoming uh, overlords, and I'm sure the the world that's just going to take over along with AI. But you have to introduce more robots, introduce more automation because now it becomes more cost effective. We've seen, of course, in McDonald's, things like that. And it, and it, and it contributes to the skills gap. Yeah. You know, it's Thomson Reuters sponsored us last month, and, and one of their big themes of this year was the skills gap. Mm. Uh, continues to widen. And it's if you can't get in on the bottom, if we don't have entry-level jobs that train people, some of the most valuable experience I got <laughs> was coming in at the very bottom end, job that nobody really wants to do, but you know, you got to earn your stripes, come in on the ground level, earn it, learn some basic fundamentals. And that kind of sets the tone for the rest of your career or, or, you know, whatever you go on to do, even if it doesn't have anything to do with what you end up doing, there's still a lot of valuable experience. I was a server for a yeah. period of time, yeah. learned a lot about people and how to like manage and, and do things there that I've carried with me, you know, again, below minimum wage United States, but it's, that's still like, if you're limiting the amount of entry level positions, that's not a great long-term uh, thing in my opinion. Yeah. And I think when we're looking at the idea around entry level jobs, I think a lot of people are looking at entry-level jobs as maybe sometimes even career paths. Hey, I'm just going to stay here. And then the other thing is, I think when we're looking at, it's almost like athletics where um, the the entry-level requirements are just only going to keep increasing and increasing and increasing. Almost like with sports, like I'm a former athlete here. Mm -hmm. If I had my training in my prime at, you know, when I was like 23, 24, whatever, Mm -hmm. and I was just placed maybe like, you know, 40 years in the past, like I would be an anomaly. Now, you know, today I'm like, eh, I'm about average tier athlete just because yeah. the standards and training have just increased so much. Now with AI, mm-hmm. those standards are going to be even higher because like everything's going to be like, hey, you don't have this skill set. You don't have that skill set. Right. What are you doing here? You know, when these are skill sets that a lot of people didn't develop until maybe they had the grace to develop them within, you know, two, three years of the career. Now you have to come in with some of these skill sets ready to yeah. go. Yeah, and we need to have a show about AI for sure because there's a lot of questions. I think I think a lot of people envision like Terminator Two style Skynet <laughs> uh, taking over, and there's a lot of misconceptions out there about that. So I want to pull back to the maritime side of things. This mm. will be setting. This will probably be the biggest story of the first part of the year for 2024. Greg Miller has written an article. Uh, I highly recommend everyone read it. Uh, container shipping rates spike as Red Sea crisis draws first blood. That is a very grim title, but it is important to know that the conflict in the Middle East is relevant even to people here in the United States. It is a potential problem for supply chains. It hasn't manifested fully, but the longer that this thing goes on, uh, I think we do have some very strong possibilities that this contributes to significantly economically to the United States uh, freight market environment. Definitely. And I think... Um... Also, when we're looking at what's happening domestically, like you mentioned earlier, um, we, I think we could talk about a little bit later on, maybe the last minute or so in the show around interest rates and some of those impacts around what the cuts could do. Um, but I think this is also going to be one of those things where we're looking at the impacts on coastal sides. So like, yeah. okay, what's it going to be in the impact on the East Coast compared to what's going to be the impact on the West Coast as well? 
and what those routing guides are going to start to look like. Yeah, Henry Byers was on Freightways Now this morning. We had a webinar last week. He was on Freightonomics a few weeks ago uh, talking about the impacts of this. And I think it was fascinating. I mean, we technically have the capacity to handle this type of thing right now, but rates are increasing even in lanes that don't necessarily have a direct impact, such as going from China to North America's West Coast, which is the largest inbound lane into the into North America. And, you know, these are things that we're going to have to monitor because right now you got time. You got Chinese New Year happening here in a few weeks. Uh, so you have this kind of spike or buildup of of demand, but it's it's not really elevated above where it was mm. at this point. So it's not a demand situation yet. Um, it is a supply situation because you have, it takes multiple weeks to go around the Cape of Good Hope. Right. And it's largely a Eurozone impact right now, but it doesn't mean that it's not influencing, you know, freight coming in here. So I think to your point, that East Coast volume that happened that kind of pulled during the pandemic, we, we kind of grew that side of the country in right. terms of imports. That's been bleeding back to the West Coast in terms of overall market share over the last year, regardless of this Red Sea thing. We also had the Panama Canal um, situation going on. So I think for anyone domestically, you know, domestic transportation, the takeaway here is watch out as if this persists throughout these winter months, we got to watch out come March, April, May, when people start needing these goods in a timely manner. Henry has talked about how a lot of these carriers have limited their capacity yeah. <laughs> naturally, trying to boost their rates a little bit. So if this crisis maintains, it is, you know, it is potentially a situation where we see importers kind of like overreact again. Right. We could see some spiking and uh, import demand, which also pushes freight into the West Coast, which we've talked about that freight desert. <laughs> It's hard when freight demand spikes out of Southern California. Yeah. There's not a lot of freight going back there. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out long term mm -hmm. in the long run. Um, because I'm always thinking, of course, like, okay, this is the impact. What is going to be the impact maybe three to five years from now? And it's definitely, I think I've heard Craig mention it quite a few times around this fueling that aspects around nearshoring and reshoring initiatives. Deglobalization. Yeah. It's, it's a it's brutal. Uh it, it makes things a lot more inefficient right. <laughs> from a supply chain perspective. Um however, there are some benefits to it that we may get into at some point this year, but this is not good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is not good. And and looking at this holiday season and even kind of before the holiday season, even when we saw some maybe weather uh disruptions, things like that it seemed like there was a clear lack of urgency from a lot of shippers on trying to get goods because they're still trying to bleed off a lot of inventory they had. But even when there were disruptions, just like, eh, it's fine. You don't need to like kind of go the air cargo route. You don't need to have anything expedited. And just, air cargo demand is actually on the rise now. Yeah. Um, and this is expected to stay elevated as long as this crisis persists. Um, you know, and to your point and Craig's point here, the long-term implications are far greater yeah. <laughs> than the short-term ones. Right. I think near-term, we can handle it. I don't think there's, you know, yeah, you're, you're seeing rates. If we want to pull up the Freytos rates uh, going from, uh, you know, this is, this is a chart of rates going from China to North America's east and green and west and white. Uh, and then the Shanghai to Los Angeles rate there in orange, which hasn't 
uh, updated for this week, but it is trending higher as well. Both of them spiked this week uh, well beyond expectation. And this is extremely concerning with the speed with which these rates increased. Um, this is 40-foot container uh, spot rates right now. So there is some impact to this. This is nowhere near the COVID. I'm only showing you a year here. If I showed COVID, that line shooting up would look more <laughs> like a blip uh, than anything. But, you know, this is a pretty strong increase considering that we do have a lot of capacity available. Yeah, and uh, also we have to note, um, talking about another article that was put out not too long ago by Todd Maiden, yep. talking around the LMI, of course, friend of the show, Dr. Zach Rogers. I'm sure we'll try to get him in and on here shortly um, and maybe hopefully in the next week or two. So, Zach, if you're watching, I'm probably going to reach out to you soon. Yep. Um, talking about transportation capacity up again in December, prices fall faster. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a reverse, but also the subhead here was a market change is coming yeah. this year more than likely. Right. Um, just because things kind of loosened up in December, isn't that unusual? Um, <laughs> like, I think it's a misnomer among, or a misconception, not a misnomer, among, among many people that in the freight space that think that December is actually a really, really active month. No, it's the sense of urgency. Demand tends to fall. You know, if you look at OTVI over the last several years, it falls every year, even in the COVID years. <laughs> right. And it's because people are taking time off work. You've got a week and a half to two weeks, we're still in one of those weeks right now where there is, people are not quite back right. and, and moving at full speed and full operation. So uh, December is not the most active month for freight shipping. So it's, it's okay. It's interesting that it loosens, but it's not a counterintuitive. Right. <laughs> also, I think in the final moments here, um, one of the things I just kind of want to chat about a little bit is interest rates and what's been going on with them because now there is this expectation for many that there's going to be a soft landing. I want to, I want to, I want to add soon. a little bit to this before you get going, yeah. because I think there's a lot of expectation around the industrial sector having a renaissance this year. Mm -hmm. So I want like, tell me what you think about now that the Fed has paused their rate cut or rate increases and now signaling cuts at some point in the next 12 months. What do you, th do you think that the industrial sector starts, especially with this nearshoring, yeah. do you think that actually gets things going in 2024? I think that gets things going, but it might be a few months out just because right now, like on things like the ISN PMI, we're still seeing weakness and new orders, backlogs, things like that. So I think we are one event away from just seeing activity just being spurred. Mm -hmm. um, I think also we were looking at different subcomponents. So of course, automotive had their issues with the UAW strike earlier on uh, or later on in 2023, uh, um, a few months ago. And then you see some of that recovery from that. Then of course, I think it's gonna be uh, different when you're looking at maybe um, on the commercial real estate side and, and compared to what you're looking at machinery and capital, capital expenditure investment. So I think once you start to see some of those rate cuts happen, if that is happening soon, I think we'll start to see that that spur in activity and capital expenditures um, once we start to see that it comes down within a, I think, meaningful way for a lot of businesses and um, those looking to make some of those those purchases. Because we did see a pull forward, I think, uh, as there were expectations that increases were going to happen for interest rates. A lot of folks tried to really kind of execute a lot of cap expand, pull that forward. And then we start to see a little bit of a trough happening overall. Um, but one of the big things is, is that it, they always say you don't want to let the inflation genie out the bottle because right. it's hard to put it back in. And so 
it's hard, as you can see, as we've all seen, to tame inflation with um, manipulation of interest rates, especially when um, you're looking at what kind of government spending's go been going on, things like that. So that's, that's a whole nother story. But when looking at what's going on with interest rates and how I would say, I would say unbothered a lot of consumers have been outside yeah. of housing, um, it's, it's harder for that to kind of be pushed back. It's a lot easier to kind of spur inflation mm -hmm. with interest rate cuts. And so if we do not have interest rates, I'm sorry, inflation completely tamed mm -hmm. before we start cutting too fast or too soon, that can undo a lot of progress that has been made towards bringing down inflation overall. Basically because we haven't learned our lesson. We haven't learned our lesson. <laughs> and consumers have yeah. been spending this entire yeah. time. And so for well, itself- We're telling like, them to spend. Yeah. Like we're, we're, do, we're, we're telling them to spend on one hand and telling them not to spend on the other. Yeah. Uh, like it's a really, like it's like, well, you know, our financial markets depend on consumer spending money. Yeah. But our government's trying to get our cost of living under control right. as well. Right. So it's, it's a, that's a total push and pull. Like I do not envy the Fed's job at all uh, <laughs> with navigating this, but I do think it's, it's probably too soon to call it a soft landing, but I do think it is possible. However, I'm definitely going to be watching consumer conditions closely, the labor market closely. I'm hoping that industrial sector kicks in this year. Yeah. That's my hope for 2024 is that they kind of pull in for the consumer a little mm. bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think those minimum wages keep going up. Hey, that industrial sector has to pop off with all the robots that are going to replace all of our jobs. I mean, maybe it'll be in future. Maybe someday it'll be Robot <laughs> Anthony and Robot Zach. <laughs> I would only, I've always wanted to be a cyborg. You have. I want to be a cyborg. All right. In Have a great year.